So we are in week two of Humi. And Humi is a series designed specifically to kind of capture God's heart in the sense of God not only can use us all, but that he wants to use us all. And so last week specifically, Ron kind of anchored into this idea of when I'm not at my best, is God still present? Is God still working? Is, is there a plan? Um, is, is, does God still want me? And, and so this idea last week was kind of working through that side. This week we're going to anchor into this idea of just being overwhelmed. Just being, I might not be able to see what God's doing. I might not, but just being overwhelmed by the fact that even in the midst of crazy, God is using and wants to use and is about using me for his good. So, so this idea of who me is kind of, kind of anchored into and Ron kicked it off with the, the other thought of who is he and letting God shape up that side of us. So, so this week we're going to take four words. Okay. We're going to take four words to try and frame this whole thing up. Dream, trust, live, see. Dream, trust, live, see. And we'll flesh that out through story and all of that. But right up front, maybe just to capture the dream side out of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 or verse 10. Um, you don't have to turn there. We won't be there long. You can turn to Genesis if you want. But um, Ephesians 2 10 puts it this way. For we are, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, so maybe framing up this whole idea of who me, that, that we're saying that God looks at you, and it says handiwork, but a better translation is masterpiece. That God looks at you, and he declares over you, you are my masterpiece. Now, you talk to any artist who, who develops a masterpiece, and they'll tell you instantly that what you do with a masterpiece is you put it on display. You want people to see it. What this captures from the heart of God is that God looks your way, and he says, hey, you are in Christ Jesus. You are my masterpiece. I want to put you on display. And then he says very, very specifically, because I've got good works for you to do that were prepared in advance, by the way, but I have good works for you. That good works kind of in the framework of today. God's got dreams for you. He's always had dreams for you. God's always had a plan for you. That, that God's dreams are, are, are going to live out and flesh out. And so, so we're going to anchor in this morning going, okay, God, if you have dreams for us, and then we trust you in that and we live, what, how do we see? What will we see? Now, to put this in kind of a more practical sense, this whole idea of dream, trust, live, see. Um, if any of you raise kids, if you're being raised at the moment, this is true of you. Um, if you've got grandkids, like you don't start out having kids go, without any dreams. Every, before, before your child's even born, you have dreams for that kid. Right? For whatever reason, I had dreams that I would have a bald baby. My girls were born with a ton of hair. Don't ask me where the dream of that came from until we adopted our youngest daughter, and she was as bald as can be. Don't get it. 
but God allowed me to see all those years later, right? Or, or in, in raising your kids, you have these dreams for them, right? And then, and then at some point, like you're just trusting, you're, you're living, and at some point you go, wait, that's my kid? They're brilliant. How did, how did that happen? Like, where did that come from? And you trace it back going, that was what I'd always hoped for them. That's what I'd always, in fact, it's even better than what I wanted. Coaching soccer, right? You start out the year and you got this dream for this team and, and away you go and, and you got this plan in place and then all these things happen and you're going, I don't know how this turns out. This is a disaster, right? And you keep going and you keep doing the things you should and you keep practicing and, and all of a sudden you're standing there and they got winner's medals at the end and you're like, oh wow, I got to see what we started out over here going and all these things changed in between. I want to I want to take a gamble with you this morning. Because I really think it's important that we we just we just anchor in to this whole idea of dream, trust, live, see. And, and I want to tell you a story. And I'm going to attempt to use I'm going to attempt to draw on screen, which with a room full of people could be extremely embarrassing. Um, but I'm going to attempt to draw out this story. And if you would, if you turn to Genesis, first book of the Bible, if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, someone will get you one. But, but first book of the Bible, chapter 41. Genesis 41. And the danger in this morning is this, that you've heard this story and you go, I've heard this story. Right? Can I tell you that I guarantee you by the time we are done, you are either in the dream, trust, live, or see phase. And this, this will anchor you back into to what God's doing. And so Genesis chapter 41 and verse 1 puts it this way. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. When two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. Now, there needs to be a context to even understand what that means, right? The context is this. It's a jail cell. And jail cells look something like that. And our main character, by the way, he is right in the middle in his jail cell. And his name is Jailbird Joe. And Jailbird Joe has been there for how many years? Two years, right? He's been sitting there, but it's two years from a specific event. That event happened to do on this side with two guys. One of them carries a cup while the other carries bread. And that is bread, by the way. And both of these guys did, did several things the same. They both ticked off Pharaoh. And Pharaoh got mad and he threw him into jail with Jailbird Joe. And then one night while they're in jail... Uh, or the next morning, so to speak, when they're in jail, both of these guys had had dreams and both of them looked very distressed. And Jailbird Joe goes, hey, guys, uh, why do you guys look so stressed out? What, what's going on with you? And so they begin to explain. And on the one side, the, the cupbearer to Pharaoh goes, well, I had a dream and there were three branches and these grapes grew off of them and, and I crushed them into Pharaoh's cup. And the, the bread, the baker goes, well, I had a dream and it had three baskets and one on top was for Pharaoh. And, but the birds came and they ate this bread. 
And Joe goes, oh, okay, God is the interpreter of dreams. I think I got it. In three days, there's going to be two outcomes. Cupbearer, you will be restored to your position. And baker, you will be impaled on a pole and birds will eat your flesh. And in three days, both things came to pass. And Jailbird Joe, he, he said something specific to the cupbearer. He said, he said hey, when you, when you end up restored back to your position, remember me. And he gets back to his position. He's with Pharaoh. But we just read that it was what? Two years later. He'd been forgotten. He'd been abandoned. He'd been left alone. And so Jailbird Joe is in his cell. And so there's a positive dream and a negative dream. But Jailbird Joe ends up in his cell because of a woman. And this woman's holding his coat. And you see, this woman is his boss's wife. And you see, his boss's wife, along the way, started to look at Joe just slightly different. And she started to fancy Joe. And Joe, she started to say things to Joe like, why don't you come to bed with me? And Joe's response is, is how could I violate God by doing such a thing? And maybe, maybe just something to grasp from, from this part is, is this idea of how do you make your decisions? Like when it comes to morals in your life, like, like Joe, Joe's standing here and it's not about what Joe wants. It's actually about what God wants and then that impacts how I move and how I live. So, so for Joe, all of a sudden, Joe takes off running. And the language is such that it says that she took his coat, she grabbed his coat, and as he took off running, Joe is essentially naked running out of the palace. And she begins to scream. And she begins to call, and the guards come in, and the servants come in, and she begins to tell a story about how Joe approached her and he attacked her. That means, ladies and gentlemen, that Joe is sitting in jail on an attempted rape charge. And so now our hero of the story, Jailbird Joe, is sitting in a cell and he's been accused of attempted rape, which here's what's interesting. When she tells her husband, Joe's boss, Potiphar, who's a high up within the Egyptian system, right? When she tells Potiphar, which is her husband, Potiphar doesn't even believe her. You know how we know? Jailbird Joe is still alive sitting in his cell. Had she, had he actually believed her, story, what would have happened is Joe would have been executed. But he's not. He's sitting in a cell, which tells us that he even knows, wait, you don't even believe her story, yet I'm still being punished. What's interesting is Joe landed this job with Potiphar, and he became... The language is specific, by the way, that he was put in charge of. That means he's over everybody else. He was put in charge of. Wow. And the reason it's specific and you need to know it is because at this point in the story, when he's put in charge, 
things are looking up for Joe. Like things looked pretty good for Joe when he was in charge. But you see, the way Joe got there was this thing called a mallet. And the mallet was the auction block on which he was sold. Remember that thing called human trafficking? Joe was human trafficked. He was sold for gain. And and the way he was sold is he was put in an auction block and Potiphar came in and he chose him to be his slave. Joe was taken as a slave and he was essentially taken into Potiphar's house and over time became to a point where Potiphar put him in charge. But the way Joe got to the auction block is he was sold down here to a caravan of Midianites by his brothers. His own flesh and blood took Joe and sold him to this caravan that was coming by. But what you need to know about the caravan is this, that he was sold for 20 shekels of silver. Why is 20 shekels of silver so important? Is because that was the price of an average slave. There was something being declared over Joe's life at this point where his brothers were making sure to send him a message saying, Joe, you are nothing more and will never be anything more than average. Just before this, there was a pit and Joe found himself at the bottom of it. And at the top of it were his brothers who laughed as they throw him in. You know how we know they laughed? They put him in a pit. And as he reaches the bottom of the pit, they sit down and they begin to eat. They don't feel any remorse. They don't feel any, any sense of like, we shouldn't have done that. They don't feel any sense of... They, they are now stepping in and going, Joe, we're going to show you. And they throw him in a pit. Now, the language within the scripture is very specific. It says that, that the pit was empty and it was without water it was essentially a place of death but you see joe's story didn't begin in a pit joe's story began with him lying down and he had a dream and you see joe had a specific dream he had two of them the first one had to do with grain. And grain grew, and there was one grain that all the other grain bowed down to. And Joe got done with his dream, and he went to his brothers and goes, Hey, I've had a dream. Guess what? You're all going to bow down to me. Now, if you're a younger brother like I am, that's not a good day for you. Right? But he goes to them, and he says, Hey, you're all going to bow down to me. He, he goes to sleep, has another dream, right? In his second dream... He sees the sun and the moon and the stars, and they all bow down to him. He goes back to his family. He goes, hey, guess what? I had a second dream. In the second dream, the sun and the moon, which is dad and mom and my brothers, you all bow down to me. And at this point, dad steps in and goes, hey, you probably should just on the dreams. Like, really, we're all going to bow down to you, Joe. And that's how Joe ends up being a jailbird two years later, sitting in prison. Now, there's some language along the way that is really specific. The part where he gets to the mallet, where he's sold a second time. Like, 
like the language is this, that it says, Meanwhile, Joe was sold to Potiphar in Egypt. It's a meanwhile. That's, that's like, oh, by the way, you know when you do it? BTW, right? That, that's the sense, that's the language that's captured here, that when God looks at Joe's life and he's telling his story, he goes, hey, by the way, Joe was sold to Potiphar. Church, maybe, maybe just something that as we look at this story and we begin to put it in perspective, maybe for us there's these moments in life that we think are so massive. And, and we're answering this question of who me, and all of a sudden something comes along and it derails us completely. We're completely in turmoil. But from God's perspective, it's nothing more than a meanwhile, such as that happened. Like if we could grasp God's concept of his story that he's painting, right? And that we get to be a part of that the major things, and and I'm not downplaying them by any stretch, but maybe what I'm trying to do is get you to go, hey, if you could see this through God's perspective, he's painting a story that begins with a dream, but has a whole lot of trust that you need to live out along the way. Has a whole lot of moments that are just trust moments in your life. And in God's economy, that thing that you think is so monumental is this meanwhile, because God's painting this huge story and he just needs to move you from here to here because he's got something for you to do. He's got something to create. He's got something to build. He's got something to move. The brothers declare over Joe, you are average, Joe. Maybe that's where the phrase came from, right? You're just an average Joe. You think we're going to bow? We're going to show you. We'll put you in a pit. How much control do you have there, Joe? Oh, by the way, we'll, we'll put you, we'll sell you, and we'll sell you for a price that just declares over you. You're nothing more than average. By the way, when you get through Joe's life, Potiphar's wife, right? The boss's wife, right? Treats him horribly. And everyone knows it. And he goes and sits in a cell as if that's not enough. Your brothers have sold you. Your boss has outed you, right? And now you're sitting in jail. And along comes this guy that could help you. And he forgets you. You are the forgotten. There's a whole lot of moments in there that you just go, man, it requires so much trust. Which brings us to a bigger question. Who's in control of your life? Like, like, okay, in this story, right? Is it the brothers? Are the brothers in control? Are the brothers the ones declaring over Joe and saying this is what your life's going to be? Is is it Potiphar's wife who mistreats him? Is is it the cupbearer that doesn't hold his word? You see, see, what's fascinating is if you stop the story at this point... That might be the conclusion you come to. But the story continues as we read right out the gate when it says, when two full years had passed, who who shows up? Pharaoh. Pharaoh, by the way, is the king of Egypt. And as we know very, very well from history class, all Egyptians, they live in pyramids. It's true. You thought they died there. But Pharaoh is the king. And Pharaoh shows up on the scene, right? And when Pharaoh shows up, he's had two dreams. And no one can interpret them. 
And wouldn't you know it that as Pharaoh's going about his day, there's this guy who is the cupbearer who goes, hey, oh, man, that's right. I was supposed to do that for that guy, and I totally didn't. And he goes to Pharaoh and he goes, hey, hey, you should go talk to this dude in jail. This guy named Joe. Like, like Joe interpreted something and he was right on. Maybe he could have an answer for you. And, and Pharaoh shows up, right? And Pharaoh walks in and they're, they're having a conversation. And Joe goes, it's God who interprets dreams. So why don't you tell him to me and we'll see if God gives the interpretation. And he starts telling his dreams, and I'm going to admit, they're kind of weird, right? So there's seven big fat cows, right? And these seven little cows rise up and eat the fat cows, but they don't become fat. They stay skinny. That's weird, right? We all know that if you eat a lot of McDonald's, you end up looking like McDonald's, right? That's just what happens. And then you have, his second dream has, has these grains in it again. And there's seven healthy grains, and these seven skinny grains show up, and they eat the healthy grain, and, and now they're still skinny. And he goes, hey, Joe, what does it mean? What, what, what are these dreams all about? And Joe, Joe goes, hey, they're actually one and the same. And God has told you it twice because it's going to happen. And here's what's going to happen. There's going to be seven years of feasting, and there's going to be seven years of famine. And hey, Pharaoh, you better prepare because the famine is going to be severe. So what I would recommend that you do, which why, Joe, why Jailbird Joe is giving advice, who knows, but he does, right? He goes, hey, I would take a fifth of everything everybody gets and I would start to store it because you're going to need it. Pharaoh looks around and he goes, well, I wish I had some wise person that could do that. And he goes, wait a minute, Joe, you told me what's going to happen. Why don't you become the second most powerful man behind me in all of Egypt. And why don't you build silos and why don't you start to collect this stuff for me? And so what happens is our jailbird ends up even more powerful than his old boss. And he starts to build silos and he starts to collect grain. Now, here's, here's what's interesting, right? On the, on the far side... When he's in the pit, Joe is 17 years old. It says that when he steps in to take the silo part to begin building silos, he's now 30 years old. His youth essentially has been spent in and out of these weird situations, being sold, ending up in charge, ending up in jail. Um, something you need to know about Joe is all the way through this journey, there's this language that keeps showing up. And the Lord was with Joe. And the Lord granted favor to Joe. Wait, 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 wait. He's in jail on an attempted rape charge. Yeah, and God is with him and God has favor on him. Wait, wait, wait. He's being sold. And, and now he's a slave in Potiphar's. How does that mean? Yeah, and you know what it says? That God was with him and God gave favor to Joe. And he rose up to be the second in command. 
you know what it says that as he begins to do the silo thing and begins to begins to go about Egypt collecting and building and storing, it says, and by the way, in the Bible context, anytime you see Egypt, Egypt is the anti of what God is about. It's an anti-kingdom. He's now working for the enemy, so to speak. So now he's building the kingdom of the enemy. And you know what it, God, what it says? God was with him because God had a plan and God was bringing it about. Hey, church, I don't know what your situation's like. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you think you're in. I don't know how bad you think it is. But can I tell you that you are God's masterpiece? And as his masterpiece, God has not forgotten about you. He's putting you on display in whole new ways. He is for you. He is walking with you. He has not abandoned you. Whatever situation you're in, God is for you. And sometimes we just need somebody to yell at us and tell us that. Because if we're honest, life is hard. And life is like a whole lot of prison cells and empty pits and places where we think we can't make it out. And you need to know that in the midst of those, God is with you and he is for you. And he is working out his plan. And he's writing his story. And he's using you. Yes, you. He's using you to write it. And as Joe begins to build these silos, how many years of feasting? Seven, right? It says two years, two years into the famine. So seven years of feasting have gone. Now we're two years into the famine. And Joe's up here, right? And by the way, you ever see Egyptians? They have like that whole chin thing going on. And they have that like hat thing they wear. It's like really tall for some reason. Well, Joe got one, right? And it says that these people showed up and they bowed down to him. And those people were his brothers. Two years into the famine. Turn to chapter 42. Chapter 42 and verse 8. This is two years into the famine. So this is now how many years later? Nine more, right? So if I did my math right, 22 years in the making is this moment. From when he got the dream to when these guys bowed down, it's 22 years in the making. Although Joseph recognized his, bro- verse eight, recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them. 22 years in the making for the aha moment. Now, let me tell you, I'm a younger brother, right? And if I, this had happened to me, and now my brothers are in front of me, I'm like, ha! Suckers! I told you it was coming. Like 22 years in the making. We can't even wait for drive through some of us are so like, God, you've got to do it now. And God's going, I'm building something way bigger than you. I'm building something much bigger. And I'm asking you, who, me? Yes, you. Play your part. Joe's part isn't attractive, by the way. Yeah, there's some highs. There's also some really low lows. I'm sure there were many, many lonely moments. 
I'm sure when he's stripped from his family and he feels abandoned, he feels alone. I'm sure there are moments when he's going, God, what in the world are you doing? And it's in those moments, those 22 is it's building. It's built to this moment. And there's this aha moment where he goes, oh, this is what it's been about. You see, the brothers lived in Canaan, right? And in Canaan, the the famine had hit. And they were out of food and they were starving and they were going to die. And as a last pitch effort, they went, man, I wonder if we go to Egypt, if they'd sell us some stuff. And when they show up and they see Joe, Joe's like, oh, I see you, but you don't see me. This is perfect. I'm going to see if you've changed. I'm going to see if what you're really made of. And he begins to put them through this testing, right? He begins to put them through these steps. And eventually what he's doing is he's trying to get the entire family to come to Egypt. And there's a moment now where dad, who's been mourning Joe for years and years, there's a moment when everybody comes to Egypt. And it's in that moment, turn to chapter 45, in that moment then, when they're in front of Joe, that Joe decides to tell him who he is and what this is all about. Remember, like from a human perspective, this is the, I told you so, you guys are idiots, you're mean, now get out. Verse 4, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph. The one, just in case you forgot, the one you sold into slavery. Yeah, that's me. Verse 5, and now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. And for the next five, there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. So it was not, verse 8, so it was not you who sent me here. But God, church, let me, let me ask you, in your struggle today, might have been caused by a human, might not have been, might have been caused by an economy, might not have been, it might have been caused by circumstances that are completely out of your control, it might have been caused by lies, it might have been caused by something that you can be vindicated in in a moment, but for whatever reason, whether it's you got news and it came straight from the doctor and you're going, life just completely changed. Who's in control? Is it, is it the person that did it to you? Is it, is it the circumstances that you find yourself in? Is it that person that just somehow they just keep getting back into you no matter? Is it the doctor that he's just diagnosing it? Who's in control? Because this is the moment that we're talking about is when I define who me, I have to define who him. Because when I define him, all of a sudden, I know that he is sovereign. I know that that means he's in control. I know that that means when I, when I break it down, he's good. He's for me. So even in the worst situation, I can have trust and live today because I know he's working all things out for what? The good, the good, the greater good of what? Those that love him. So church, today in your struggles, in your struggles, can you declare over your own life, man, you meant this for bad. God meant this for good.
Oh, you thought you were sending me to Egypt. Actually, God sent me ahead so that I could save you. You see, something happens. Joe ends up seeing. But it's 22 years later that he sees. It's this idea, right? But for Joe, it begins with a dream. It begins with a dream. God gives him a specific dream, but what I want you to get is this, right? Most of his life was lived in trust. I can't see your dream today but I trust it. Oh God, you promise in Ephesians that that you, that I'm your masterpiece. You you declare that about me, God. You told me I'm your masterpiece. You told me that you've got good works, but God, I can't see them today. That doesn't change anything, by the way. God, that you're for me, you're for my marriage, you're for my kids. That doesn't change just because your circumstances change. And, And your job, your moment is to trust That God is who he says he is. If I'm ever going to understand who me and where I fit, I have to understand who he is. And that he is writing something. And I have to trust that. But you know what I do next? I have to live. And you know what living is today for some of you? I physically am going to get out of bed. That's it. For others of you, I physically, I'm going to take one step forward. Why? Because I trust in the dream that God's given. I'm going to take one step forward. For others of you, you're a flat-out sprint. You're, you're in a good season of life. You're, you're flat-out sprinting. You can see God in front of you. But here's the thing. For, for all of us, at some point, God will allow us to see. God will let you see what it's all about at some point. He may pull back the curtain. He may give you God vision. He may give you glasses. I don't know. But at some point, you've gone through all of this. Which, by the way, you ask somebody in the room who's over 60 years old, and they'll tell you 22 years isn't very long, by the way. If you've only lived 21, 22 feels like forever. I don't know how long it's going to take for you to see what God's doing, what he's painting, what he's been doing all along. I don't know. But I do know this, that God gives us dreams and he asks us to trust him. And he asks us to take simple steps of faith, just one at a time. You don't have to take a lot, just one at a time. And someday, because I know my God, I know what he's about, he's going to let you see what he's been painting all along. He's going to let you catch a glimpse. Now, one last thing about Joe. Joe didn't see it all. You see, for Joe, he saw that he was saving lives in the immediate. But if you put it in a biblical context, if you go back in Joe's lineage, right, this guy named Abraham that God spoke to, and God told Abe, I'm going to bless the entire world through you and your descendants. You know who Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob was Joe's daddy. When that family line came and was preserved, what God was doing was moving the story of Jesus 
and continuing it on. Joe had no idea that Jesus was coming. He had no idea that Jesus would come through that line, that that line needed to be saved in that moment. He was just being faithful to what he had in front of him. Church, what has God called you, who me, yes, you, what has God called you today to be faithful to for him, to trust him with, to step into? Because as you do it, you have no idea what's being painted. Hey, church, bigger picture, as we all do that, we have no idea the footprint that's going to be left by Heights Church because Jesus showed up in a bunch of people and said, hey, will you have a dream? Will you trust and will you live? And then we get to see. Let's pray. God, thank you for... Thank you for preserving stories that give us hope. Thank you for faithful people that in the midst of just what seemed to be the worst of life, God, they trusted your best for them. Thank you that we can find such hope in the midst of that, that we can find such redemption in the midst of that. Thank you, God, that we can sit here all these years later and look at our friend Joe and look at his life and go, man, I just want to trust you more. I just want to live today more. And yeah, it hurts. And yeah, it doesn't make sense. And yeah, it doesn't. But I trust in a God who will make me see someday. And so, God, would you give us holy courage? Would you give us faith that we would be willing to follow you wherever it goes? And God, that it's not about us, that we're following because it's about you and others seeing you for who you are. So God, we love you. We are your people. Bless us as we go. And everybody said, amen.